0: And discovered hours in, when you reach what you thought was the top that you've just summited the first of the foothills. And you can finally see what it is you have to climb. Or have you ever thought about what it would actually mean to take the good news about Jesus to the whole of a city like Edinburgh? Have you ever considered the scale of that task? Have you ever thought about trying to speak the good news about Jesus to everyone on your street? Can you picture them for a moment? Or maybe to everyone in your Area. Can you imagine what it is to try and take the good news to an entire city? That's overwhelming. Well, not just overwhelming, outnumbered, but imagine what it's like to be in hostile territory. As well, When there's opposition out to stop you. And that's what we're going to read about tonight. We're going to carry on working through the story of the beginning and the advance of the church. In the, the book of Acts, in the Bible talks about that. And we're going to see today Paul arrive in the city of Corinth. And if you've been here for a while, you'll know we've, we've been following Paul on his missionary journeys. And he's been on these enormous journeys, stretching over so much of the land. This is his second vast journey. And... Uh, We saw him chased out of Thessalonica a few weeks ago. We saw him escape from Berea, same hostile crowd. And then we saw him chatter for a while with some folks in Athens. Now, today he arrives in Corinth. And before we read that record, I wanted to give you a bit of background to help you appreciate what's going on. So Athens has quite a reputation today, right? I think most of you would have some sense for what Athens is. But I don't know how many of you would know anything about Corinth. Here's what you need to know about Corinth at that stage. It was a huge city. It was absolutely vast. Now Athens and Corinth were both great Greek cities. But the Greek age had finished. And the Roman Empire had crushed them. When you get into the Roman age. Athens is thought to have been down to about 10,000 people. Just 10,000 people left in Athens. Like a small country town here. Corinth was completely destroyed by the Romans. And rebuilt as a new colony. And it's thought that it was as many as 700,000 people by this stage. Absolutely vast. The biggest city Paul's visited so far by a long way. Edinburgh-sized or even bigger. Why does it get so big? Because it's on a bunch of key trade routes. It's between the east and the west med. It's between the north and the south of Greece. So everything comes there. It's also the Roman capital of the whole province. So Corinth is the most important city Paul's visited to date. Can you imagine what he feels as he arrives at that city? It's a city about this size. He's one guy. Can you imagine how overwhelming that is? How outnumbered he is, how radically outnumbered. Now can you imagine what he's going to do when he gets there? Let's read and see what happens. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 18. That's page 1114 in the Red Bibles, if you want to use these. Acts chapter 18, and we're going to read a good chunk.
1: Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and page 114 of the Pew Bibles. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila a native Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, And his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. While Galileo was pro of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, If you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matters yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sothenes Senegar Guler and beat him in front of the court. But Galeo showed no concern whatever. Amen. ever heard the saying,
0: preach the gospel, and... If necessary, use words. You ever heard that? Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I think it's something we hear bandied around pretty often nowadays. I wonder if anyone knows where it comes from? This is an interactive moment. St. Francis of Assisi, how many? who votes for that? You vote for St. Francis of Assisi? Our research said, uh-uh. unfortunately not. Um, widely attributed to Francis of Assisi. But it's not in any of his published writings anywhere. Uh, It only starts showing up in the 1990s in books attributed to Francis of Assisi. It seems to have kind of dropped out of thin air. Preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. What do you think Paul would say to that? Uh uh. Paul would say, uh uh, don't think so. Don't think so. Paul has to speak, he has to use words. It is necessary. To share the good news about Jesus, he's going to have to talk about it, isn't he? Paul says in one of the letters he writes to one of his churches, he says, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one they've not heard? How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? Paul knows this. Paul knows this, and that's what he sets about doing when he arrives in this gigantic town of Corinth, when he arrives before this utterly overwhelming task. What he sets about doing is talking. Can you see that? Have a look in, in verse 4. Uh, in verse 4, it says, Every Sabbath he reasoned. He reasoned in the synagogue, working the rest of the time to support himself so he could speak. And in verse 5, once his mates arrive, once some support arrives, he devotes himself full time exclusively to preaching. Or, or more literally, he was, he was constrained to the word, is what it says in the original language. He was occupied with the word all the time. Paul knows he has to speak. But I want you to see it's also exactly what Jesus tells him he needs to do. Look at verse 9. When Jesus is speaking, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, says Jesus. Paul must speak. He he can't just be silent. He can't allow fear to silence him. There's There's no... preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words going on here, is there? Paul can't just live a good life in the middle of this massive city of Corinth. What he can't do is settle down in the middle as a fantastic tent maker. You know, make the very best tents. Sew every stitch with love. And then, you know, give away tents to those who need them. Be outstanding in his business dealings. He can't just do that. He can't even devote his life to living for worthy causes in the city. He can't set out to feed all of the hungry in the city or look after all the orphaned children in the city or, you know, build a tents for the needy campaign, which everyone can get behind. He can't call himself done after that. None of those things would be bad. They're good things. They're good things. But at the end of the day, they are not sufficient. You can bet Paul did make good tents. I bet he even sowed them with love. You can bet Paul was engaged in feeding the hungry. You can bet he was engaged with serving the poor. You bet he did all that, but it wasn't enough by itself. At the end of the day, it is about words. It is about speaking and about not being silent. That's what Paul knows, and that's what Jesus explicitly directs him to do. Okay, so there he is. Faced by this gigantic city of Corinth. What's he going to do to reach the city? He has to speak. Well, here we are. Surrounded by this gigantic city of Edinburgh. What do we have to do? We need to speak too. Well, what do you feel the, the moment I say that? Do you, do you feel fear, honestly? Do you feel fear about needing to speak? I certainly do. Now, Paul was afraid. Paul was afraid. Remember what Jesus says? Do not be afraid. He wouldn't say that if Paul wasn't afraid. What do you expect? Paul was expecting opposition, active hostility, real danger to life and limb. What do we expect? Honestly, we expect our friends will laugh at us. Maybe they won't even talk to us anymore. They might think we're silly. Can we get out of this? Can we use one of these, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words, approaches? Do you think we can do that together? You know, we could just live such good lives here in the midst of the city that one day somebody would rock up to us, you know, notice our good lives and uh, just say, what must I do to be saved? Or something like that. That would be nice, wouldn't it, if we didn't actually have to do the awkward speaking bit. That was basically how I approached the last five years I worked in a normal job. I, I ran an office for Amazon.com here in Scotland and, you know, I think I did a pretty good job of it. Uh, I was I was honest, um, I was just, I was diligent in serving my colleagues, I even opened the door. You know, I was, I was nice, I, I, I spoke kindly to them all the time when I had to give them bad feedback. I tried to, you know, make it less painful than it could have been. I even learned Greek in my lunchtimes, and nobody ever came to my desk and asked me, well, what is it I must do to be saved? Never happened. Now, maybe, and this is entirely possible, maybe the problem is I was just not good enough. And maybe some of you are so much better at doing this that this will work for you. I'm pretty sure all of you could do better than me actually, I was trying but I was a long way from perfect. But maybe we're seeing something here tonight that teaches us differently. Maybe we're seeing something here that says, that's not going to work. Maybe actually words are necessary, maybe just being nicer, better people doing more good stuff. Maybe that's not enough, maybe just like Jesus says we have to speak not so revolutionary, really, is it? It's not a surprise to discover this far into the book of Acts, this far into the story of the church that we have to speak, but at the same time, I know that I, and many of you, I expect, despite the fact that we know this very well, struggle to actually do it. And I know that a lot of you are struggling to imagine right now that you could do it any differently as a result of being here tonight we're experts at making excuses for ourselves really aren't we we're like uh, sure I have to speak but just if I just had a few more training courses first you know maybe if I knew a few more Bible verses uh, and, and and I prepared on a few more questions well then maybe then I'll be ready to speak or or maybe we say you're sure I have to speak but but just not yet once I know them better you know once we're a bit further into our relationship or 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 maybe you want to say sure we have to speak but you know me, I'm just not an evangelist. And uh, you know I'm just, praise the Lord, that there are some people who are gifted as evangelists and, and they can all go and do the speaking. God will call someone else to do that. He just didn't make me that way. But I expect you know deep down that we all need to speak, really. But how? How is this really, realistically, going to happen for you and for me? How are we going to more often get to the point where we actually have a gospel conversation? Before you, you, you give up and feel like this is just going to be another guilt-inducing, you-must-speak pitch, okay, give me five more minutes, six. And um, I think there is something very helpful for us in this passage, something genuinely helpful that can make it more likely we can actually do what we're doing and, and those of you here who think you have this taped um, I, I actually think there's some stuff for you to learn in this passage as well so I encourage you to, to humor the rest of us for a bit and just listen with like the left half of your brain while speaking to somebody about Jesus um, there is some detail in what Paul did shown here as he approaches this city this overwhelming challenge and I think it really helps because did you notice how Paul's speaking is described in the text open it up again and tell me How does Paul speak in verse 4? What does he do? Interactive moment. He reasons, doesn't he? He he reasons. He tries to persuade. Now this this reasoning is a part of Paul's standard operating procedure. If you flip back to Acts 17 in verse 2, it says, As was his custom. Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he he reasoned with them from the scriptures. As was his custom custom right it's the normal process he does things by now you might think this is just what paul does when he goes to synagogues it's just the sort of way you can approach it if you're dealing with people who have some sort of significant faith background well in athens we're told in acts seventeen seventeen, he reasoned in the synagogue with both jews and god-fearing greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there he's not just reasoning in the synagogues he's not just reasoning with people with a faith background he's reasoning in the marketplace with whoever happened to be there in Ephesus Paul's next major city stop that he's going on to we'll find him reasoning in the synagogue yep but then in Acts 19, 19 he gets kicked out of the synagogue and what does he do? he took disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus and the discussions daily is exactly the same word he had discussions he's reasoning paul does a lot of this reasoning in the book of acts he's reasoning long into the night of troas remember where somebody present falls asleep and falls out the window don't try that nobody's sitting near the window good safe um he's reasoning with felix the roman governor in his own trial as he begins his final journey towards rome and reasoning, this word, I think, can help us as we face this need to speak, as we face our frequent failure to actually get to the point of speaking. Because it's a rare word, relatively, and it has a very clear and specific meaning. Uh, my biggest, bestest book on exactly what Greek words mean, which is literally about that thick, um, it, it expands on the meaning of the word this way. It says, to reason is, more specifically, to engage in speech interchange to engage in speech interchange and then especially it says in instructional discourse including interchange of opinions and then it tries to give us some single English words that you might use if you're trying to translate it you might conversing discussing arguing but what the word is communicating is speech interchange and interchange of opinions when you think about it, this idea of interchange is quite surprising, really, isn't it? Wouldn't you imagine Paul didn't really need to hear anything from the other side? It's not like Paul has any questions about what Jews believe. He grew up in the Jewish background. He's the, the Jew of Jews. He's the, he, you know, he knows all their stuff. So it was quite odd that he would need to engage in an interchange. Didn't he just need to tell them stuff? Didn't he already know everything that mattered? And so he had no need to hear anything from their side? I, often we can think of our obligation to speak just like that. We can feel like what we need to do is just get through some sort of minimum package of information. Uh, a presentation of the gospel, you know. We've got to deliver the whole package. We've got to present this this bundle of information. If we tell that, then we're, we're, we're done. On the one hand, you can feel guilt because you just get started in sharing that package of information, or or don't get it all across, and you just feel like, ah, I failed to get to this main event of sharing the gospel. But on the other hand, you can deliver a gospel bomb on somebody, you can cover all six boxes, you can wham it at them, and just feel like, my work is done here. Um, But how do you think, why why do you think the idea of interchange is so significant? Why is it so much in the foreground with the way Paul is going about this? Well imagine this, okay. Imagine I rock up to you and the street in Edinburgh and I address you in fluent Klingon, which I've somehow picked up. I address you in fluent Klingon and I share the gospel with you beautifully, precisely and in every detail. At the end of my speech you're just thinking, weirdo. You don't know anything more about the gospel because I've been speaking a foreign language. Successful communication isn't just speaking because I've said something because I've transmitted it. That doesn't mean it's been received It's not successful communication and very often if we're not careful people have no clue what we are talking about (coughs) Because so often effectively We're speaking another language then maybe it's not Klingon. I hope it's not Klingon. Don't try that at home, but the same communication gap exists not just between languages, but between cultures See, if I told my American friends I was out preaching in my pants this evening because it's quite cold, they'd be quite relaxed about that idea if I told you that. Well, praise the Lord, it's not so. Um, But speaking across cultures is speaking into another language. It's not just words that have different meanings to people, like a simple word like sin, it's we're trying to communicate with people who have radically different views of the world. Things we take for granted, things we assume, are things that are simply ridiculous to them. So the idea that people are guilty because they break God's laws, what well, are most guys on the street? That's just a ridiculous idea. They're not racked with guilt, desperately looking for a way out. If we communicate a gospel that assumes everyone is living inside our understanding of the world, are we really communicating one at all? Or are we just talking another language? See, we can, we can build so much on these, these foundations, these assumptions about how people see the world. And if those foundations aren't there, the whole thing's just going to disappear into the sand. We've achieved nothing. If we fail to connect with how they actually see the world, how they understand it, how they think about it, then we're not communicating anything at all. What's that got to do with the idea of the Interchange. Well, communication, real communication, requires interchange. We can't understand how somebody else sees the world without it. We can't figure out how to communicate what we want to say without it. We can't figure out whether they actually received what we said to them without it. We have to take the time to listen and understand and not just assume that we know where others are. If you've got time, take a look at how radically differently Paul shared the gospel in Athens, in that kind of intellectual context. Just look at the way he described what the gospel was there. Compare that to Lystra, this amazingly pagan context, and the way he explained the gospel there. Compare that to Berea, when he's speaking to devout Jews, steeped in the scriptures, and how he explained the gospel there. Paul presents it so differently in these different cultures. And how does he do that? Through interchange, through understanding where they are, and what they're thinking and what they understand and how they need us to present the gospel all very well okay interchange helps us to present it in a way that people understand but what's that going to do for those of us who struggle to speak anyway ask yourself this if you want to have an interchange with somebody else if you want to have a dialogue rather than just a, just a monologue how, how does that happen simply we can ask questions it's really simple we can ask questions and interestingly enough that's something Jesus does rather a lot of isn't it Jesus asks lots of questions he asks 307 questions according to one count in the gospels and he only answers two he does a lot more asking than answering who do you say I am what is written in the law how do you read it Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Non-speakers, and I'm speaking to myself. Non-speakers, do you want to have more gospel conversations next week? I hope you do. I think you do. Well, I'm not asking you to go out and get a soapbox and stand up on it. I'm not asking you to try harder to live better. Here's something simple and something practical that you actually could do next week, something manageable. Simply ask some questions. Or to use the Bible's word, reason with people. Get involved in interchange of opinions. And you can start that by asking for some of theirs. Do you think you could do that? Do you think that's possible? Are there there people in your life that you could imagine asking a question to? I can imagine asking people a question. That's not so scary. In the hope, maybe you'll end up in a dialogue. Maybe you'll end up with a chance to persuade. Could it even be a habit we develop? And those of you who do speak, those of you who are wonderful at getting the good news of Jesus out there, do you think that you could do that more powerfully and more productively if you ask questions if you got involved in interchange, if you understood others more. What sort of questions might you use? Well, I was thinking you probably had some good ideas. So let's take a moment right now and turn to your neighbour and see if you can come up with any questions you might use to start a process of dialogue, of communication, of interchange about opinions. What do you think? Give you a couple of minutes. What questions could you use? only questions so they're only short Um, what what did you what did you can i have some good ones what what i'd like to do is i'm going to capture some of these i'm going to make a list and i'm going to post it on our facebook page so we can look at it so give me some who's got a good question that we could use how was your weekend weekend? cunning (laughs) and and not too awkward to ask either really is it how was your weekend very good another question what makes you get up in the morning? That's a great question. I'm too slow writing, aren't I? Is anyone a faster writer than me? Okay, give me another one. Come on. Are you involved in any societies? Are you involved in any societies? Very good. Very good. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Do you like horses? <laughs> I think that one. That. It might take a bit longer to get there from that starting point. But I'll tell you, it'll start a conversation. Okay, I'll add it to the list. Do you like horses? Okay, understood. Do you like horses is down. Very good. Ah, so do you trust in horses? That's what we're looking for. <laughs> Got another one over here. Who do you think God is? Wow. Yeah, big question. Get in early. Who do you think God is? Okay, give me three more, three more. Why do you think that? That That is a great uncovering question. Why do you think that? It's not hard to ask, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Okay, and one last one. That's great. What have you experienced of church? Yeah. Can you imagine asking those sort of questions to people? That seems quite plausible, doesn't it? Especially asking about horses. I think that could go down really well. <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I- I'm going to post these to our church's Facebook group. If you're not in the church's Facebook group, um, do join. I should know how to tell you how to do that, but I don't know how to tell you how to do that but come find me afterwards and we'll figure out how to join you to our Facebook group we'll post them there and I would love it if you could share any stories of what happened when you asked a question this week because I'm going to give you some homework this week I'm going to give you some homework I want you to actually try this out I want you to actually go and ask one question and just see what happens okay? and we'll try and gather up a variety of experiences together and we'll see Here's why, imagine, imagine this for a moment, imagine we all go from here, and by the time we go out and come back next week, 150 questions have been asked to people around this city. Okay? Simply asked a question. Imagine some of those questions started a deeper conversation, uh, an interchange of opinions. Imagine some of those interchange of opinions became gospel conversations. And imagine some of those gospel conversations led further. Imagine next week here, perhaps we'll have some more people along who want to find out a bit more about what the Bible says. Imagine what it'd be like if in just one week, there was one more person who came to know Jesus through this. In just a week. Because this is possible. Possible. Just one question can start a conversation, can't it? Any conversation can turn into a gospel conversation. And Jesus tells us the fields are ripe for the harvest. He doesn't tell us that, you know, it's early season, there's a few here and there, the pickings are slim. He tells us the fields are ripe for the harvest. Sometimes one conversation will be all it takes. And just a question could start it. Then imagine we keep on doing this. Imagine we keep on doing this. We all learn to ask questions and have conversations. Is it possible we could reach a city? It is possible we could reach a city. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. Just like Paul said this morning... Jesus finishes the Great Commission with this confidence, surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. Let's pray together.